Well, it is really good to open the Bible together uh, this morning as we continue in our Fruits of the Spirit series from Galatians chapter 5. And um, maybe just before we do that, let me just pray. Let me just ask the Lord to be with us in what we say. Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your house. It's good to gather together. It's good to sing praise to you. Father, it's good to be in fellowship with one another. And Lord, we declare that it's good to be able to open your word. Lord, we are so thankful, Father, that you choose to speak directly into our lives. Father, thank you that you have gifted us with this wonderful book. Lord, that isn't just words on a page, but it's the very spoken word of Christ. It's the inspired uh, scripture, Lord, and we want to take that deadly seriously. And so, Lord, as we gather around the Bible now, Father, would you be glorified? Father, would you shape us and mold us and help us to not be the same? Father, would you open our eyes and help us to understand the wonders in your truth? We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So to get us started, uh, Charlie and I didn't compare notes, but I do want to take a quick poll in the room. And uh, the question is, how many people shop on Amazon? So I want to see hands. There's Linda's got her hand up, right? Let's see. How many people shop on Amazon? Okay, very good. I want, I want to get a little bit more detailed. How many people in the room have an Amazon Prime account? Okay, lots of people in the room. Okay, hang on a minute. Now, let's have a little bit of fun. And remember that lying is a sin. So be truthful. How many of you have ordered from Amazon Prime at least once in the past week? The same hands keep going up, guys. The same hands keep going up. Okay, keep your hands up. How many times have done it once? Okay, how many have done it twice? Diana's shaking her head, but Charlie's got his hands still up. So hang on a minute. There's something going on here. Okay, hang on a minute. Right, so we've got twice. Who's got the hands up? Three times? Derek, how are you feeling? <laughs> Four times, Derek? Okay, I'm going to let you off. I have a confession to make. I've ordered not once, not twice, but four times in the past week. And to make it worse, I was sad enough to go back through my order history and look, and I discovered that in the past six months, I've ordered from Amazon 99 times. 99 times in the the last uh, six months. And between us and the Cardigans next door, in fact, Kyle and I were out building a fence yesterday. And, and I saw this Amazon parcel, uh, the Amazon van goes past, right? And I'm like, I wonder if it's for us or for the Cardigans. And he goes, they go to both. I said, like, okay. So, so it is a daily visitor and often to multiple locations within our little commune up there. Um, you might be wondering why on earth I'm spending time endorsing Amazon. And it is important to note there are other online retailers available. Um, and Lisa's not even here. Lisa's husband works for Amazon, so that would have been uh, important. The thing is that Amazon Prime for me is both incredible 
and completely awful at the same time. And so for those of you who aren't familiar for the concept, with the concept, which appears to not be anybody in the room, but let's just carry on. This is Amazon Prime is this premium level offering from Amazon where you pay by subscription and in return you get free accelerated delivery for your online orders. And in reality, that means I can take, I, I put my phone up there, I, I can take my phone out, I can quickly find the, app, the item that I want. With literally one click, I can have it ordered and it'd be in our house tomorrow, if not today. And there's loads of positive aspects for this. It's unbelievably convenient. Throughout the past couple of years with lockdown and everything, it's been a brilliant tool for our family. I had to keep buying trousers for Kyle because he keeps growing. And so that's the incredible, but what's the completely awful? Well, I think for me, Amazon Prime represents the epitome of the instant access culture that we've become increasingly accustomed to. So over the next two minutes, I could show you a live picture of the top of Ben Nevis. I could order us a pizza to be delivered for lunch. Or I could order a packet of 18 blueberry fruit and nut bars to be delivered at your house this evening. No guesses for what our last order was on Amazon Prime. And as helpful as that is, we're training our minds to expect everything to happen instantly. And therefore, I get frustrated when it doesn't. I get irritated when I get stuck in traffic and my journey doesn't take precisely when the, the time that the sat-nav told me it would. I get upset when I'm waiting to get hold of someone on, on the phone for the, the not managing in the first attempt. And thankfully, the prime criminal is not in the room. Uh, and, and for anyone who's been waiting on medical results, we know how hard that can be to not get instant answers. And all of this points completely contradictory to the fruit of the spirit we're going to talk about today, which we've talked about already a few times, patience. So just as a quick recap, we're in the middle of this nine-week series looking at the fruit of the spirit as outlined in Galatians 5. And the core passage that we look at in that, it outlines the difference between our selfish desires and the attitudes that are a result of the spirit of God working within us, the fruits of that spirit. So let me just quickly read you a couple of excerpts to remind us of where we're going with this. So it's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. You can turn there if you want. It says this. Now the works of the flesh, so that's our selfish desires, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So for everyone who is a Christian in the room today, we should expect that the Holy Spirit working within us would produce more and more evident evidence of the traits of, of these second list in our lives. It should be the flavor that we leave behind when we are interacting with someone. 
And I guess there's two important things to balance here. Firstly, when Paul is writing this, he's not writing it as a pep talk to just try harder. It's not a self-help book that tells you if you concentrate really intensely and do the right breathing exercises that somehow you'll be able to get better at all of these things. That's not what's going on. And no amount of just trying harder is going to sustainably produce fruit like this in your life. And there is absolutely no intention with this series to make you feel guilty or heavy laden in that. Equally, it's also true that we shouldn't be comfortable with simply not seeing these fruits of the Spirit in our lives. If those who are looking on at our lives see more of the first list than of the second, then we need to be praying that God would change us from the inside out. We can't just assume that the Lord will develop these traits in us without some repentance and desire on our part. So once again, as with so many things in the Christian faith, we have to hold these two in balance. But today we're going to be exploring how a greater dependence on God, a greater work of the Holy Spirit in our lives will produce patience in our lives. So just for a moment, let's try and define patience. Here's a couple of options which I found pretty helpful. Firstly, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. That was interesting. And then this next one I really love is from a pastor called Paul Tripp, and he says this, patience is the quietness of heart, the rest of the soul in the face of uncomfortable delay. Let me just say that again. Patience is the quietness of heart, the rest of the soul in the face of uncomfortable delay. I really like Dan's analogy when he was sharing last week for us on gentleness. He talked about how a good parent that's helping to teach their child to walk does so gently. But they also do so patiently. They don't get angry or frustrated as they fall over and make mistakes. They just patiently pick them back up again and they cheer them on when they succeed. That for me is a great picture of patience. And the Bible is full of references to patience. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding. But the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. 1 Corinthians 13, we, well, many of us will know that passage really well. It talks about all sorts of different elements of love, and it goes on to say that love is patient. Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesian church, he, he gives them the instruction. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And in many places in the Old Testament, in Exodus, in the Psalms, in various other places, it describes God as being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger or patient, abounding in love. And there's dozens more verses we could quote which underline the importance of patience. As I look across scripture, the picture gets pretty clear. Patience is a priority for the believer it's ingrained within God's character and it's demonstrated perfectly in Jesus. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at what are the implications for us today here. And to answer that, I want us to look at one core passage of scripture in James chapter 5. So I would like you to turn to this one if you've got a Bible or an app or whatever. 
We're going to read from James chapter 5 and start in verse 7. It says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As we look at this passage, I want to just follow exactly the way it does, just work work through it. And it gives us three primary areas around patience. The first I want to look at is that we need to be patient in waiting for eternity. The second is I want us to look at we need to be patient with one another. And thirdly, we need to be patient in suffering. So let's start at the start. We need to be patient for eternity. We don't have to look very far to see that we live in an incredibly broken world. I feel like I've commented regularly over the past few weeks about how much brokenness I'm seeing. We see it in our world with the the ongoing, the hangover from the COVID pandemic. We see the challenges economically that we're facing. And of course, the war in Ukraine and the many other wars going around have brought this into sharp focus. We see it in our nation with concerning government policies and unhelpful, unhealthy cultural norms that cause chaos and confusion, particularly to our young people. We see it in our church with broken bodies and broken families that cause pain and suffering. And we as Christians are not immune to brokenness. And yet we know two incredible things. Firstly, that Jesus came He conquered death and sin and brokenness and pain. And we know that one day he will return. And he'll come and he will wipe away every tear and will restore all things. And so we find ourselves in the middle between these two realities. With freedom in Christ and the promises of great hope on one hand. And the trouble of sin and death and brokenness on the other And we are in many ways living out that uncomfortable delay. And yet in this moment, we're called to be patient. We're called to be patient even when all is not as it should be. We're called to be patient even when culture feels like it's closing in on us. We're called to be patient even when revival is not coming in the way that we would dream. There's a clear biblical premise of waiting. I did wonder about doing an experiment where I just would stand here for 30 minutes and see how patient you were until I started speaking, but I decided not to do that. The Israelites waited hundreds of years for a Messiah. They also wandered around the desert for 40 odd years. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. 
When you look at characters like Joseph and Job and look at how they waited for things to be resolved, there's loads of other biblical characters we could point to that had to wait. And as we do so, as we wait, we need to do so with the right attitude. Look at verse 8. It calls us to establish our hearts. And that's a curious phrase. It echoes the same sentiment as I see in Colossians 3.1, which says this. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly, earthly things. Listen to those words. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's conquered. He is seated, knowing that he doesn't even need to expend further effort. The battle has been won like we were singing earlier. And so as we look upon the world that we get upset and frustrated about the injustice and corruption and darkness and pain, we should have compassion. We should pray earnestly. We should strive to ensure that things like this do not go unchecked. But we shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't be easily buffeted by circumstances. Our hearts should be steadfast, set on things above. And we should rest in the knowledge that he has won and he holds the whole world in his hands. Just a quick sidebar for a second, a quick thought. There is much work to be done in this in-between stage. There's a whole generation out there who don't know Christ. There's a broken and hurting world that needs his touch. The harvest is indeed plentiful. And at the same time, I want to be cautious that we shouldn't be frantic in our response. We see in the Gospels the contrast between Mary and Martha, and I think that rings true for us as well. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and see his change in our lives, but we don't need to go chasing after a hundred different activities. As we grow to be more like him, he will allow us to be salt and light in our homes, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our social circles. It's the body of Christ with established hearts, with hearts set on things above, who will have the greatest impact on this world. And indeed, the greatest impact here in Kintour and the surrounding areas. So yes, we'll do activities as a church. Absolutely. But that should be a small addition to what's already happening every day in our ordinary lives. Think about your primary ministry as the things that happen between 12 o'clock on a Sunday and 10.30 the next Sunday. That's when ministry should be taking place. The fruit of patience will come as we fix our eyes on the risen Jesus. As we establish our hearts and are resolute in our commitment to Christ, we will find rest in the uncomfortable delay as we wait on him in this in-between stage, as we wait for him to come and make all things new. We need to be patient for eternity. Secondly, we need to be patient with one another. If you look at verse 9, It says this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Any of you who have ever been a parent or a spouse or a child, in fact, any of you who have ever breathed will know 
that being patient with others is a challenge. Instinctively, in our simple natures, we are inclined to be impatient and intolerant and grouchy with one another. There is a tragedy in our human condition that we tend to be least patient and therefore least loving if we think about 1 Corinthians 13 towards those that we care for the most. Just look around your families. And this is often too true of the church as well. There are huge slices of the New Testament dedicated to letters written to churches who are just not getting on with each other. And I know for many of you, the corporate church has been a place of deep hurt. I know that grumbling against one another has left you wounded. And that's just not the way it should be. And the message in James is really strong. We do need to be patient with one another. In Colossians 3, Paul paints a completely different picture of what the church should be like. In verse 12, he says this, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. It's a beautiful picture of patience in the church. Patience in the church means bearing with one another, being quick to forgive, letting peace rule in your hearts and focusing on the encouragement and building up of the body of Christ. As I read verse 17 again, this is such a familiar passage. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As I read it again, I'm struck by the context here. I think we often think of this verse as some kind of mantra for life, which is perfectly valid. But if we look at the original context here, it's meant as an instruction between people. It's an interpersonal instruction. And it's one with this, it's an instruction to the church in particular. And so that means that we need to look at what we're doing in the church and ask the questions, is it being done in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we teach children's church or help with coffee or welcome new people or stack chairs, is, is it being done in the name of Jesus? And then by extension, we think about that interpersonal element as we love our neighbors or reach out to our friends or share with our co-workers, do we do so in the name of the Lord Jesus? And equally, before we grumble, or complain before we speak sharply to one another we should use this as a guard and ask ourselves are our words and deeds being done in the name of the Lord Jesus you will have heard me talk many many times about the importance of unity in the church and friends that is so important 
And it's especially important for our little church as we grow, which is a blessing. And as we go through this season of change, which I pray will be a blessing. But unity is so, so important. Too many churches at our stage have died due to agendas and desires to pull the church in one direction or another. And that's not at all what we want for Contour. Romans 15, 5 and 6 encourage us, encourages us, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How I long that we would together with one literal and one metaphorical voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we seek after him with thankfulness in our hearts, the fruit of patience will become a natural outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we seek to encourage one another, as we seek to build one another up, patience will become a natural outworking. Friends, we need to be patient with one another. And finally, we need to be patient in suffering. If you look at verses 10 and 11, it says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James points us to the Old Testament prophets as an example of suffering and patience. Those who were patient, we are told, are blessed. Which begs the question, how can suffering be a blessing? Let me just read this quickly from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, and here's the important part, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance or patience. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We've already talked about how much suffering there is all around us. There's much suffering even among us in this room today. Health issues, economic challenges, family strife. And yet I'm standing up here and I'm asking you to rejoice in these sufferings. That's quite an ask. But thankfully, as Lindsay pointed out, this is not the wisdom according to Colin Ross. But rather this is a wisdom from the only source of wisdom we can actually trust. So why do we rejoice in our sufferings? We do so because we know that they are not fruitless. Suffering takes us on a step-by-step journey of becoming more like Christ. We live in these in-between times. Unfortunately, there's no way that Christians can avoid suffering in some form or another. But suffering produces endurance, or as I said, some translations make it patience. And when we remain steadfast, with our hearts established, 
when we endure, we'll grow in character. And character will produce hope. Hope for a future that will not disappoint. And it all begins to circle around the same principles here. If there's one thing that we can take away from this morning, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when our hearts are established and steadfast, patience will be the fruit. In the context of suffering, being steadfast doesn't mean you won't wrestle with the situation. It's okay to question, it's okay to be upset, but ultimately a patient, steadfast response will be a blessing to you and to those around you. That doesn't mean that the circumstances that are causing the suffering will automatically change, but we will be able to see, as it says in verse 11, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I'm sure there's many of us that would bear testimony to this. I certainly can that in family situations, in situations in my career, in situations in the church, I've seen the purposes of God in suffering. What the enemy has meant for evil, he's turned to incredible good. On Wednesday night, we were here and we were praying for Richard Milne. And it actually seems weird to me that for so many of you, you may not even know who we're talking about, but I would encourage you to keep praying. But one of the things we were reflecting on on Wednesday, just as we were chatting, was the incredible blessing that Jenny has been as she's navigated her illness over the past few years. I think it was around when we started the church about five years ago that she was diagnosed with cancer. But she's chosen to give praise to God in the suffering. She saw the blessing even just practically in having more time to spend in prayer and Bible study and, and then in turn more time growing in her intimacy with Christ. And the truth is the reverberations of her testimony have and will continue to be felt far and wide. That, friends, is a beautiful picture of the fruit of the Spirit in her life. We are to be patient in suffering. So to close, let me bring us back to where we started. The fruit of the Spirit is not produced by hard work. It's produced by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. As we seek the Lord with steadfast and established hearts, fixed on Him, we will bear patience in our lives. We will run contrary to the prevailing instant gratification Amazon culture. And we'll learn to be still and patient for eternity. We'll learn to be patient with one another, loving and encouraging the church. And we'll be patient in suffering as we walk with Christ through the challenges of this life. As we do so, we will reflect the perfect, patient character of God who is incredibly patient with us. This Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's pray together. Lord, we do declare 
that our God is gracious and merciful, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you have been incredibly patient with each one of us. Lord, we recognize that on an almost daily basis, Lord, we do things that would cause frustration and anger to a righteous God. And at the same time, we take joy and delight that we see you more as that patient parent who's helping the little one to learn to walk. Lord, as we stumble and make mistakes walking through this life, we are so grateful that you are there to pick us up, to encourage us, to cheer us on when we succeed. And Lord, we take seriously the commands of your word, the encouragement of your Bible that tells us to be patient as we wait in these in-between times where all is not right. And yet we can trust in the incredible God who holds the whole world in his hands. Lord, we take seriously the, the encouragement to be a blessing to one another, to be patient, to build up one another in the church. And Lord, we turn to you, acknowledging that in our suffering, Lord, you are our great support. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit's work in our lives would produce patience. As we face uncomfortable delay, challenging circumstances, Lord, help us to be a blessing and to bear testimony to the wonderful, patient God. Lord, I pray that above all, that we would seek you with established hearts. Father, that we would seek your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And Father, would the natural outworking of that be the fruit of the Spirit being born in our lives, being evident to all. Lord, we want to be a people who are known for the second list in Galatians 5, not the first. So come, do a work in our hearts. Shape us, mold us from the inside out that we might point to your glory and bear much fruit. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.